You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. As we prepare to go to God's Word, would you join me as we pray together? Oh, holy God, how we thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you this morning. To be able to sing your praises and be reminded of your first coming as a baby in a manger. Lord, we, we know our hope is found also in your second advent, your second coming. When you come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, I, I, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to worship with this church that I call home. To see so many familiar faces. I thank you for the way that they raised me. With a passion for the gospel and a heart for the nations. And Lord, I pray as we open your word together, would you speak life to us? May your Holy Spirit illuminate the scriptures in such a way that when we leave this place in a little while, may we leave having been changed because of you. Our hearts penetrated with the truth of your word. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it is so good to stand behind this sacred desk. Uh, Wade and I have developed a friendship. I, I've been fortunate enough to, to get to know the last three pastors of this great congregation. I got to know Dr. Monroe as I was a student, and he was uh, still around, encouraged me to, to go to Indonesia as I was a senior in high school, encouraged me uh, to go and share the gospel over there. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm a product of Dr. Gates. Uh, I listen to Dr. Gates preach every single Sunday. Uh, Dr. Gates, I've got many of your notes uh, still written down. Uh, I could probably preach several of your sermons. Uh, and if this one sounds familiar, it's just a coincidence, I promise. But I, I'm so thankful for the ministry of Dr. Gates, the encouragement that he's been to me. And as I've gotten to know Pastor Wade, uh, it's just been such a great privilege to know him and the opportunities that I've had to, to stand before you and to be able to share the gospel. I am a product of First Baptist Church, Fort Walton Beach. Uh, I was licensed to the ministry in 1997. I know for those of you that are really young, that sounds like I'm really old, but I promise I'm not that old. But in 97, this church looked at me and said, there's something about him. We feel that he's called into the ministry. So I went off to college with a piece of paper with the signatures of Dr. Gates and, and faithful people from this church. And I went and got a degree at William Carey University and then uh, graduated in 2001. And this church once again came into my life as I was called to serve a small church in Picayune, Mississippi, 
This church ordained me to the gospel ministry in 2001. 21 years ago, this church ordained me to the gospel ministry. Uh, Signatures of great heroes of the faith are on my wall in my office at University Baptist Church. And since that day, I've had the opportunity to serve four great churches. I served in Mississippi. I've served in in Florida, uh, then in Alabama. And now by some uh, cosmic uh, conspiracy, God has me in Houston, Texas, of all places. We would have never guessed we'd be in Texas. But if you ever find yourself in Houston, Texas, particularly in the small little southeast corner of the city called Clear Lake, if you're visiting the Johnson Space Center or or Space Center Houston, I hope that you'll come find us at University Baptist Church. We are literally in the shadow of of NASA down there and uh, got a a great congregation of uh, aerospace engineers, of petrochemical engineers, even a handful of astronauts that are a part of our congregation. So if you're ever down in that area, I would love uh, to come and welcome you to Houston, Texas. This morning, what I'd like to do is ask you to join with me as we open God's Word together in Luke chapter 1. I asked Pastor Wade what he was going to be preaching on, and he said he's going through a series on Bethlehem. I said, well, do you want me to stick with Bethlehem, or do you want me to do something completely different? He said, do something completely different. So we're going to go with the very first Christmas carol. You know, songs have a way of penetrating our hearts. I mean, we we sing songs and they give a voice to our passions and our hurts and our pain. When we are driving down the the road, we crank up our radio and maybe you you, uh, turn to your favorite station or open up Apple Music or Spotify and you play your favorite song and you let it speak words of, of, of encouragement to you or maybe it expresses your deep hurts. That's what songs do. And at the Christmas season... We tend to all gravitate towards our favorite Christmas carols. Mine personally is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It reminds me of watching uh, the Peanuts, Charlie Brown and the Gang on, on television. It just stirs up memories for me. But everybody has their, their favorite Christmas carol, whether it's uh, one from long ago or even a modern rendition of Christmas carols. And as I was thinking about Christmas and a good word for us this morning, I thought, what about the very first Christmas carol? You know, it wasn't written after Bethlehem. It was actually written before Bethlehem. Let me give you some context. In Luke chapter 1, the the physician Luke is giving us the story of the the leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, Luke tells us about a visitation that Mary received as the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you're going to have a child. And Mary was very confused about how it was all going to play out. But she said, nevertheless, Lord, whatever you want, I am your servant. And so she then goes to her cousin. Mary arrives to go to Elizabeth's house. And together, these two pregnant women essentially plot the overthrow of every government in the world. Two pregnant women have a discussion about their children, one carrying John the Baptist, the other carrying Jesus. And they have this conversation about what is the Lord doing in this moment? And Mary responds in that meeting with a song. I want you to follow along if you have your Bible with you. Uh, we'll be reading from chapter, four, or chapter 1 of Luke verse 46. We're going to begin in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, and behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he is who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and, the thought, and in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And it says, and Mary remained there with her about three months and returned to her home. This, this beautiful song, beautiful song of Mary as she sings an expression of what God is doing in this moment. It's a song for Mary, but it's a song for us as well. And what I want us to do this morning, I want us to look at this, examine this text, and I want us to see uh, two things about this song. The first is this, that it is a song of promises fulfilled. It is a song of promises fulfilled. In order to understand that, you kind of have to understand the story of the Bible. And I know you are the ones who taught me. I've got a lot of Sunday school teachers that, that raised me in this room this morning. And I know you know the Bible. But for those of you that may need a little bit of a refresher course, let's go back to the pages of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, what do we read? In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth, and in all of that story of creation, God looks at it and he says, it is exceedingly good, or it is very good. God creates everything perfect. And the story continues in Genesis chapter 2 where we have a more detailed telling of God walking with Adam and Eve, walking with humankind in the garden. A beautiful relationship where God walks with them. But it's all broken in chapter 3. In chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve looking at a tree. And a serpent comes in and says, wouldn't you like to eat from that tree? Wouldn't it be good if you ate from that tree? And so Eve and Adam, they eat from the tree in which God said you shall not eat. And something happens. Theologically, we call it the fall. It's where mankind rebels against God. God said, be fruitful, multiply in Genesis chapter 1. In other words, he says, I've given you my image. I want you to fill the earth with my image. But instead, man said, we're going to fill the earth with sin and selfishness. And from Genesis 3 all the way through chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, you have the escalation of sin. I mean, you've got Cain killing Abel. You have sin reaching a pinnacle to where God floods the earth. And that doesn't stop it. Sin continues to increase to Chapter 11, where we get to a, a, a tower called the Tower of Babel, and mankind looks at one another and they say, hey, let's make a name for ourselves. Instead of making a name for God and filling the earth with his image, let's make a name for ourselves. And so they decide to build a tower all the way up to the heavens so that they can look great. Of course, you know the story. God destroys the tower. He confuses their languages. And in Genesis chapter 11, we're left with the question, what is God going to do about sin? How's he going to handle that? How's he going to deal with it? And the answer is found 
in Genesis chapter 12 with a man named Abraham. You'll see Abraham's name was mentioned there uh, at the end of Mary's song. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want to use you to bless all the families of the earth. I want to use you to bring about redemption to all of the nations. I want to use you to restore the relationship between me and all of mankind. And it doesn't happen right away. I mean, in Genesis chapter 12, we read that Abraham leaves his, his hometown and he makes his way uh, to what would eventually be called the promised land. And we see Abraham get a covenant. He's going to be uh, the father of a great nation. He's going to have land. Abraham passes that down to his son Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to his 12 sons. We call them the 12 tribes of Israel. And what we do in the Old Testament is we follow the stories of the 12 tribes as they're hoping to see the restoration of a relationship between God and between man. God gives a promise to David, and God says, David, I'm going to use you to to have an everlasting kingdom. God gives a promise to Moses, and he says, Moses, through you, I want to use Israel as my special possession, not special because they're privileged, but special because they have a purpose to tell the nations what it means to follow the one true God. And throughout the entire 39 books of the Old Testament, what we find is God's passionate pursuit of mankind. God looking to bring redemption to mankind to where we get to the final pages of the Old Testament in a book called Malachi. And in Malachi, God speaks through the prophet and he says, the day of the Lord is coming. And then, silence. 400 years of silence. Has God forgot his promise? Has God forgotten Abraham, Moses, Israel, David? And Mary comes on in Luke chapter 2 and Luke chapter 1. And Mary says, no, 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 no. He remembers his promises. It is a song of promises fulfilled because Mary speaks out. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. As Mary writes, she's writing as a song of promises fulfilled. And these promises fulfilled are for all of us. In what's unique in Mary's song is that she quotes several passages in the Old Testament. We'll just look at a few of them this morning. But you'll notice in chapter 1, verse 46, she begins by quoting from Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the the minor prophet Habakkuk. But Habakkuk is asking a question. Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament. He's asking the question, if God is righteous, why are there so many unrighteous things in this world? That's the question that Habakkuk is writing. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18, Habakkuk answers by saying, I don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand why a holy God would allow unholy things to happen. But Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take my joy in the God of my salvation. What Mary does is she goes back to the book of Habakkuk and she uses very, very similar language by saying, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. By quoting from Habakkuk, Mary is saying that this is a song of promises fulfilled 
for those who may not understand what God is doing. For those who don't understand all there is to understand about God. It's a song for the ignorant. And I know sometimes we think of the word ignorant, we think, well, that's a bad term. But, but aren't we all just a little bit ignorant of what God is doing? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've wondered, what is God doing in this situation? Why would God allow this kind of situation in my life? Why would God let me go through this? Mary says, this song is for you. Those of you that, that are looking at the pages of Scripture and wondering, who is this God? I don't understand what he's doing. God gives faith to the ignorant in Mary's song. She says, God, I've, I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know your plan. I mean, she was betrothed. She probably had her plan. She's ready to marry Joseph. Everything was laid out. She's planning a wedding. And God says through his angel Gabriel, you're going to have a child. And her whole world gets turned upside down. But her response is the same response of Habakkuk. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand all that's involved. But I trust you. I've got faith. It's a song of promises fulfilled for those that do not understand all that God is doing. But it's also a song of promises fulfilled for the disappointed. I want you to notice a little bit further. As Mary is writing, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. A quote from Habakkuk. And then she continues, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary, as she writes this song, as she sings this song, she goes back to the pages of 1 Samuel chapter 1. Back to the story of another woman named Hannah. Hannah was a woman who was desperate for child. She begged God for a child. And when God finally delivers a child, Hannah's response is, God has been mindful of my humble state. Hannah was disappointed that God wasn't doing what she thought he should be doing. And she's begging God to do a great work in her life. And when he does, she says, I'm rejoicing because God looked at the disappointed and he gave me hope. He answered my prayer. That's what Mary is saying here. By quoting from 1 Samuel chapter 1, she's saying, he looked on me. God looked at me. And he decided to use me. Have you ever had a time of disappointment in your life where maybe you're wondering why God didn't do something that you thought he should? I mean, we, we all go through that time, don't we, where we think, well, God should be doing this in my life, or God really should be opening these doors, where we're just disappointed in what God is doing. And Mary gives us a voice in her song. She says, this is a song of promises fulfilled. For those that don't understand, God gives faith. For those that are disappointed, God gives hope. But Mary goes on. It's also a song of promises fulfilled for those who feel forgotten. I mean, look at what Mary's doing. She, she goes down towards the end of her psalm. Look at verses 54 and 55. She replies this. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What Mary does is she goes to the book of Micah. 
And in Micah chapter 7, verse 20, she, she quotes the words of the prophet Micah. Micah is writing to a nation that is wondering where God is. They feel like God's forgotten them. I mean, after all, in Micah's day, that, that you have a, a group of people that, that have read the promises about Abraham and read the promises about uh, Israel. They've read the promises about David and about Moses and all of those promises in the Old Testament. And they've wondered, God, where are you in the midst of this? Imagine even fast forwarding into that intertestamental period where you have 400 years of silence, no prophets of God speaking and wondering, God, where are you in all of this? Did you catch Mary's words to the forgotten? She says this, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In remembrance of his mercy. We have a God that does not forget us. We have a God that remembers us. I want to think one of my, my favorite uh, stories about God's remembrance is in the book of Exodus. You read the book of Exodus where, uh, you know, in the book of Genesis, the Israelites, they end up in, in Egypt because there was a famine in the promised land. And so they're living in Egypt. Joseph has helped them make their way all the way up into second in command. They're living a great, wonderful life. And then you get to the book of Exodus and it says a Pharaoh came that did not know Joseph. A Pharaoh came who didn't remember Joseph. And the Israelites get put into slavery. They get forced into harsh labor. Moses, who's going to be their leader, he ends up having to leave Egypt. and He's just wandering around in the wilderness for a little while. He sees a burning bush. He goes to that burning bush and God speaks to Moses and he says, Hey, Moses, I remember. I remember my covenant. I remember the promises that I made. And I'm going to do something about it. That's what Mary is saying here. By quoting from Micah, she's saying that, that God takes the forgotten and he remembers them. Mary's song is a song of promises fulfilled. It's all of the history of Israel wrapped up into one joyous song where she says, praise God. That he fulfills promises. Promises to those that don't understand. He gives them faith. To those that are disappointed, he gives them hope. To those that feel forgotten, he remembers them. But it's more than just a song for the nation of Israel. It's more than just a song for a group. It's a song, not just of promises fulfilled, it's a song of personal faith. Songs have a way of speaking to us personally, don't they? I mean, I'm reminded of the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You're familiar with the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford wrote that hymn after his family had, uh, had been killed in, in a boat. They, they, they were headed to England, they, the boat sank, he lost his family. He's on a boat going to prepare for their funeral, and he writes these words. It is well, it is well with my soul. And it's a wonderful story for Horatio Spafford, a personal story for Horatio Spafford. But you know what? When I sing it is well with my soul, I don't think about Horatio Spafford. It's a great story. But I remember, I remember 
a day in May 2007 where my family and I gathered in this room for my dad's funeral. And I remember Michael McVeigh, education pastor here at First Baptist Fort Walton Beach, singing, It is well with my soul. I didn't care what Horatio Spafford was going through. I knew what I was going through in that moment, having to say goodbye to my dad. And those words became personal to me. It was a song of personal faith because it was a song that I could sing. In the midst of pain, I could say it is well with my soul. That's what Mary's doing here. This song is a personal song for Mary, but can it, be, it can be a personal song for you. I mean, look at how Mary speaks in this song of personal faith. She speaks, first of all, devotionally. Look at the language that she uses there in verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm reading, reading from the English Standard Version. The word magnify literally means to make something big. I know that's, that's shocking news to those of you that have ever used a magnifying glass, but that's what it means, to make something big. She says, I want my soul to make God bigger. I want my soul to, to make him big. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's my desire that my life, the things that I do, the things that God calls me to do, that it makes God bigger, not smaller. I like the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 3. John says, I must decrease. And speaking of Jesus, he says, and he must increase. This is a song of personal devotion. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I want to live my life devoted to God so that everything I do makes him just a little bit bigger to other people. Oh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful testimony. As Mary sings, she sings a song of personal faith, and it's a song of devotion. But she also speaks emotionally. Did you catch what she says? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My spirit rejoices. Literally in the Greek, it means to leap, to jump up. It's, that's a, that's a, a word of emotion. And can I confess as somebody who's been a Baptist since the age 15, we probably could use just a tad bit more emotion in our worship. I'm not saying jump a pew or two, but I'm saying maybe get a little excited. I mean, that's what's happening here. It's leaping. It's getting excited about what God's doing. It reminds me of, of the, 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 the lame man. As Peter and John are making their way to the temple in the book of Acts, they say, well, I don't have any money for you, but in the name of Jesus, walk. And this man gets up, and the Bible says he is walking and leaping and praising God. I, I don't know what that looks like, but I know it's exciting. He's walking like oh, my, my feet work. He's jumping up and down. I, I can jump again. And he's praising God. Because God is doing something great. Mary is speaking emotionally. She says, my soul is rejoicing. My spirit is rejoicing. I'm leaping with what God is doing in this very moment. Are you excited about what God is doing in your life? Do you get emotional about what God is doing in you and through you? This is a song of personal faith. 
It's a song of Mary saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm devoted to him. I want to make him big. It's a song of emotion. I'm excited. I'm leaping. I'm encouraged. But it's also a song of confession. She speaks confessionally. Did you notice what she says? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She calls him my Savior. It's a confession. It's a confession that Mary herself needs a Savior. She says, I rejoice. I'm, I'm emotionally excited. I magnify. I'm devoted to him. But I'm also confessing that I need a Savior. She says, my Savior. In that way, Mary's all... Mary's like us, in need of a Savior. I mean, let's go back to that story in the Old Testament. That story of what God has called us to do in Genesis chapter 1. God looks at his creation, and he says to his creation, Be fruitful and multiply. I've given you my image. Fill the earth with my image. And instead, God said, "Ah, We're going to do it our own way. We're going to eat from a tree in which you said you shall not eat. It looks good. We, we're going to eat it anyway. We're going to be selfish. We're going to make a name for ourselves in Genesis chapter 11. And sin becomes a really big problem. And sin is still a really big problem. As a matter of fact, Paul would write to the church at Rome and he would say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He would later say that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And Mary sees all of that playing out. When Gabriel comes to her and tells her about the child that she's going to bear, she says, I rejoice in God my Savior. The Savior is coming. And the Savior has come. This morning, I wonder what your favorite Christmas carol is. I wonder what song you sing to celebrate the season. My hope is perhaps there's a new one. A song written before the days of Bethlehem, but a Christmas carol nonetheless. A song that speaks to the nation of Israel and a song of, of promises fulfilled. A song that speaks to us as promises fulfilled but also a song that vocalizes our personal faith as we say to God, God, I want to make you big. God, I want to be excited about what you're doing. And God, I need you as my Savior. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.